If you have your Bibles uh, this evening, you can open with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 this evening. Tonight, again, we're going to be celebrating in baptism with those who are going public with their faith tonight. And baptism is a very important and cherished ordinance of the church. And before we get to that, I just want to take a few moments and reflect on the truths that baptism represents for us. And I'm going to do so by answering some clarifying questions. We're going to look at baptism through the lens of who, why, when, what, where, and how. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one of these, but I, I want to, to, to use these clarifying questions to, to give us some uh, clarity on baptism. And for us as believers, if, if you've been baptized already, you, you might say, well, what, what do I need to know about this? I mean, I've already been baptized, blah, blah, blah. No, that's, that's, that's not the right attitude to have tonight. Uh, in fact, as we study these things, what it should do is stir our affections for the Lord. It should stir our affections for the Savior. It's kind of like when, um, when I go to a wedding, and usually when I go to a wedding, I'm, I'm officiating a wedding, but when I go to a wedding or officiate a wedding, it, it stirs again, just seeing the, the love of the couple, it stirs again my affections and my love for my own wife. And it reminds me of the vows that we made a while ago, however many years ago that was. It's not, the number's not important. Our, our love is what's important. Uh, 15 years ago, this November, right? Just did some quick math there. 15 years ago. And, uh, but it, it reminds me of, of that moment 15 years ago where her and, her and I made those vows to one another and, and right here on this stage and, and we, we, uh, we committed to love one another. And, and, and so for us, baptism tonight, as we witness those who are going public with their profession of faith, it should once again stir our affection and our memories of, of when we did that as well and our love for the Savior as well. And as we celebrate in their a profession of faith, it, it should strengthen our profession as well. And so Romans chapter 6, we'll, we'll look at a few verses here just as a baseline tonight, and then I'll get into answering these questions. Again, not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these, going to move through them quite quickly. The first one's going to be the longest one, and so just in case you're getting worried, you know, oh my gosh, are we going to take this long on each one? No, we're not. The first is the longest, and then we'll move through them quickly. But uh, Romans chapter 6, and we'll start tonight in verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray just in the next few moments, Lord, that by your spirit, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we know that the things of the spirit, that your word, which your words, which are spirit and life, Lord, that these things are at enmity with our natural minds, that they cannot be understood and grasped apart from you. It's only by you working in our lives through your spirit that we can have any apprehension, any understanding of these things. But Lord, you promised in your word that your spirit would teach us all things, would remind us of of what you have taught and would bring us into the fullness of truth. And so Lord, we ask that you would do that in our lives tonight as we meditate on what baptism is and, and why we need it and why you gave it and, 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 and the, the place that it has in the life of the believer. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, who, firstly, who is baptism for? Who? Who should be baptized? You might say, well, everybody. Everybody should be baptized. We need to get everybody baptized. Jesus said to go and to disciple the nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we're going to disciple the nations, the nations must be baptized. Everybody needs to be baptized. Well, what we see in Scripture is that while we would hope that everyone would be baptized, baptism is only for the believer in Jesus. It's not for the unbeliever. The unbeliever is not to be baptized because baptism is part of how we profess our faith in Christ. The believer is the one that is to be baptized. So when I say that I wish all the nations were to be baptized, what I am really saying is I wish all the nations would come to Christ. I wish everyone would be baptized. I wish everyone would come to Christ. But, but those who have not turned to faith in Christ should not be baptized. Baptism baptism is for the believer in Christ. What that means is those who have repented of their sins, who have asked Christ for forgiveness of their sins, who have have turned from their sins and turned to faith in Christ, that they trust not in their own good works and our own good efforts, that we have come to recognize that our righteousness before a holy God is as filthy rags, that we have nothing to offer God as far as our salvation is concerned, that it is all of grace, that it is all of Christ, that it is all by his mercy and by his work that we are saved. 
We don't contribute anything to our salvation. It's only the grace and mercy of God. It's only the work of Christ. And it is those that realize their sinful state and who recognize in Christ their Savior, Christ and His work of atonement, that have embraced it through faith and who have received it by grace, those are the ones who should be baptized. Baptism is for those who are and have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their souls. When we see in Acts chapter 2 and Peter preaches the first gospel proclamation, we see that those who repent of their sins and that turn to faith in Christ, those are the ones who are baptized. There were many there that day who undoubtedly heard the message that was preached, who did not repent, who did not turn to faith in Christ, and who were not baptized. It is those who repented and believed, who called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, who were the ones who were baptized. And as we move throughout all the whole book of Acts, this is the example we see over and over again. We see the Ethiopian eunuch believes and has faith in Christ. And then he's baptized. We see the, 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 the centurion Cornelius and his whole household believe upon Christ. And then they are baptized. This is the pattern. It is belief and then baptism. Belief and then baptism. And it's imperative that we understand this point because sometimes people misunderstand and think that baptism is what saves us. Sometimes people have the idea that if, if I can be baptized, then I will be saved. Then my eternity will be secure. I've known of preachers who believed and taught that the waters of baptism themselves are what cleansed us of our sin. That it was a literal washing, that the waters of baptism literally washed away our sin. Friends, let me tell you, there is nothing special about this water over here. It came out of a garden hose, okay? It, it, and some of it from the water heater, so it's nice and toasty. There's nothing special about this water. And in fact, the, the Bible says in 1 John that it is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. Amen. It's Christ's blood applied to us, to our souls, to our hearts, to our lives, to our account. That is what saves us. And you must understand that, that, that going through baptism will not save you, but baptism is for those who have been saved. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by Christ's work. We are not saved by going through the baptism tank. We are saved by the work of Christ. We see this in the example of the thief that died on the cross next to Jesus. What did Jesus tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. He was not baptized. He didn't, he didn't, you know, Jesus didn't say, oh, I wish we had some water here. Then you would be in paradise, but since there's no baptism, there's no salvation for you. No, that's not what he said. That thief on that cross was saved just like everyone else who's ever been saved by grace through faith in Christ. There was no time for baptism. He expired there shortly thereafter. So it is not baptism that saves, but Christ who saves and the work of Christ that saves us. And we are saved in that way by grace through, through faith. 
Now this for us raises the question of infant baptism. There are uh, several Christian denominations that historically have practiced uh, Christian uh, or infant baptism. And there are some that do it, what they mean by it is different than what others mean by it. But the bottom line is this, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, we do not see any examples of infants, of babies being baptized. The reason for this is, is because everyone who is baptized in the Bible first makes a proclamation of faith in Christ. And an infant, a baby, is not able to do that. They're not able to apprehend the gospel. They're not able to apprehend anything. They're not able to understand anything. And so to, to place upon them baptism when they haven't heard the gospel, believed the gospel, professed faith in the gospel, is out of step with what we see in the New Testament. And so those who practice infant baptism do so not on the authority of Scripture, but on the authority of church tradition. And so for the, the, the young child who wants to be baptized, we really leave that up to the parents. It's up to the parents to, to work with and to determine and, and to examine and to say, do, do, do they understand? Do they apprehend? Or, or have they made a credible profession of faith? Do they have a desire in and of themselves to be baptized? We leave that up to the parents. However, if they are very young, i.e. not able to walk into the baptism tank on their own, it may be best to wait a few years, especially so that they might remember baptism and, and cherish it as a fond memory. Now, I don't, I, I don't have a problem with baptizing children. And in fact, I came to faith as a young child. Uh, I've known many people. Maybe you yourself came to faith as a child. I celebrate that. And so we do not want to deny uh, the, the baptism to a child who has made Jesus their Savior, we would not want to lay uh, uh, an obstacle in the way of their faith, so we don't want to do that either. So that, that's, we, but we leave it up to the parents. Now, sometimes people will ask, if I was baptized as a baby, should I be re-baptized? And I, I personally am content to uh, leave that up to the individual, to work through that, to pray through that on their own. That's my personal belief on that. However, I, I do think that there is uh, something that is settled in our hearts when we make a public profession of faith in Christ. And so I think that's something to be considered as well. And so that's the who. Who should be baptized? Christians, believers, those who have put their faith in Christ. Next, we have why baptism. Why should we get baptized? And this might seem to you to be the most Sunday school elementary answer, but it's really, I can't think of a better answer than this. Why should we be baptized? Because Jesus said so. Jesus said so. That, that's just the bottom line on why we get baptized. Jesus said so. Now, there's lots of other things that we can go into and what it represents and et cetera, et cetera. We saw some of this in Romans chapter 6. But the bottom line underneath all of it, even if we didn't have any other understanding of it, Jesus the Lord said that those who believe in him should be baptized, and that settles it. That's the bottom line. Why be baptized? Ultimately, Jesus himself said so. And so for the Christian... Baptism represents the first act 
of obedience. The first act of obedience. Jesus is not only our Savior, He is our Savior. And how many of you are glad He's our Savior? But when He saved us, He's also our Lord. When we, when we come to faith in Christ, what we recognize is that Jesus is not only our Savior, but that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to flip back over there quickly, Matthew 28. The Great Commission, Jesus sends out his disciples and he tells them that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. What it means to be a Christian is that we follow Christ. We obey Christ. We follow the teachings of Christ. Here Jesus tells his disciples that they are to teach everything that Jesus has commanded and not just teach what he commanded, but teach people to obey what he commanded, starting with the command to be baptized. So if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to obey Jesus, if we're going to call ourselves Christian, it starts with this first act of obedience of baptism. Baptism really represents that first act of declaring Jesus is Lord, and from this moment on, I'm following him. I'm obeying him. I'm endeavoring to live for him and to keep his commandments. And if you will not be baptized for whatever reason, if, if you say, I don't need to be baptized, I don't want to be baptized, that should be of great concern to you personally. That should be a warning sign to you, a red flag for you, that you need to work some things out in your faith in Jesus as Lord. Because Jesus commanded that we were to be baptized. And so baptism is our first response, our first act of obedience. And for the believer in the new covenant, it is the sign of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, they had what was practiced by the Jews was circumcision. And that was the sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham for the old covenant people, the, the Jewish people. But as we transition into the new covenant, we're given two signs of the covenant, two ordinances. The first is baptism, which is to be done once at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. And then we have communion, the Lord's Supper, which we continue and reaffirm our covenant with Christ when we take it. And so baptism becomes the sign of the new covenant, just as circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. That's why. Next, we go on to when. When should I get baptized? And the answer for that is simply as soon as possible. As soon as possible. There is no need for there to be a long delay from your public profession of faith until the moment that you are baptized. There is no good reason to delay in following and obeying Jesus. Again, as I mentioned, there have, I've, I've known of many Christians who have put off baptism for years. But this is not the norm nor the pattern that we see in the New Testament or the book of Acts. What we see is that people believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. They didn't believe and then say, well, let me think about it. Well, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. 
No, they believed and they were baptized. It's not this, this delay. It's not this period of, of, of trying Jesus out for a period of time. Well, if I try Jesus and it works for me, well, then maybe I'll be baptized. No, that's a total misunderstanding of who Jesus is as Lord and what he did and, and what the claims of the gospel are. No, when should I be baptized? As soon as possible. When should you be baptized? Right now, tonight. And so if that's you, if you've put off baptism, if you have made a profession of faith, but you haven't been baptized tonight, I'm not condemning you. There's no condemnation for you. I'm not talking down to you, but I am encouraging you. Obey Jesus. It's time to start following him. And the pathway to start following Jesus goes through the baptismal pool, goes through the waters of baptism. If you have not been baptized, you are not following and obeying Jesus. So when should you be baptized? Now is when you should be baptized as a Christian. What, what, moving on, what does baptism mean? What does it signify? Well, first we have to, again, underscore that baptism is symbolic, not salvific. Baptism is symbolic, now not salvific. It's not a work that we add to Christ's work. It's not a means by which we are saved. No, we are saved by the work of Christ. And so baptism, therefore, is symbolic of the work of Christ and what he has already done in our lives. Again, the waters of baptism do not wash away sin, but they represent the washing of sin for us. It is an outward symbol of what God has already done on the inside in our hearts. And we see this in the mode of baptism as, as we go under the water, as we are buried with him, as Paul talks about here in Ephesians 6, just as Jesus was buried and he died and was buried, so we too believe that we have died in Christ died to our life of sin and shame, been buried with Christ. The waters of baptism represent that. And as we come out of the waters of baptism, it represents our new life that we have in Christ. Our new life, our old life of sin and shame and, 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 and compromise and, and, and brokenness and bondage and dominion of the devil, all of that is gone. And we have a new life of freedom and life abundantly in Christ we are dead to the old life of sin and we are alive to the new life that Christ gives us, that we are a new creation. Now this does not mean that you will never sin again, but it does mean that when we have the temptation to sin, that we should remind ourselves, I have died to sin. And we will be tempted and you will be tempted. And this week when we leave this place and maybe tonight before you're even home, we all undergo temptation, but we need to remind ourselves that we have been crucified with Christ. We need to remind ourselves that we have died to sin. This is what Paul says here. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need to remind ourselves, I am a new creation in Christ. My old life of sin and shame has passed away. Now this doesn't mean that when you get out of the baptismal tank that you're going to feel all brand new, that you're going to feel like you're wearing a halo and they're just going to float through life. I wish that were the case. 
But the fact is that as we go through life, as we endeavor to live for Christ, I do believe that over time that you will see your desires change. What once brought you pleasure in the world will no longer bring you pleasure anymore. What you will find is that what will bring you the most pleasure and satisfaction in life is truly living for Jesus. The sinful things that once brought so much enjoyment will no longer bring those things. But instead, when we do sin, what we will feel is the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life that draws us back to Christ and beckons us to repentance and faith. Next we have where. Where should we be baptized? Well, the Bible shows us that we should be baptized in a public place. In a public place. That baptism is not something to be done in secret or in hiding, but is a way that we publicly identify with Christ. Not something we do in private, but something we do in public. This is how we go public with our faith. Baptism is a public profession of faith. And so for us, as this public profession of faith, what it serves as is a personal reminder. Your baptism will serve as a personal reminder for yourself. I am a Christian and I follow Jesus. I have been baptized into his life and into his death and I have been raised with him. It is that reminder for us that we are not our own but our lives have been bought with a price. It's a reminder to ourselves that there is no going back, that we have made a commitment to following Christ and we are not going back to the world. We see a picture of this in the Old Testament when God delivered his people from bondage and slavery under the Egyptians, that the first thing he did after he delivered them out of bondage and slavery to the Egyptians is he led them through the waters of the Red Sea. They were baptized in the Red Sea. And as they went through the Red Sea, as the Red Seas parted and they walked through on dry land, as soon as they got to the other side, what is it that happened? The waters closed in. There was no going back. And for us, that's what baptism represents. There's no going back. I'm not going back to the world. I'm not going back to my life of sin and shame. Sure, I might sin. Sure, I might fall. Sure, there may be temptation. But I am Christ's. I belong to him. And there is no going back to the world. Finally, tonight, how? How should we be baptized? Well, the example, again, we see in the New Testament that we see in Scripture is that we should be baptized by immersion. Baptized by immersion. Why? Why why do we need to be immersed in water? Again, the bottom line on this is this is the witness that we see in Scripture. Where we see people being baptized, it, it talks about there being a lot of water. We see this in Jesus' baptism that John was baptizing where he was at the Jordan River in John 3.23, it says, because water was plentiful there. And then in Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, it says that they went down into the water 
and came up out of the water. And it says that too with Jesus' baptism, that he went down into the water and came up out of the water. And so the witness of Scripture shows us baptism by immersion. And of course, baptism by immersion best symbolizes the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Just as Jesus was laid in that tomb, on the third day he came out again, so we too are laid in the water. We, we don't keep you under as long as Jesus was in the tomb. Otherwise, we'd also need a resurrection as well. It's just for a moment, but it, it represents the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection life that is now alive inside of us, that we were dead to sin. We are dead to sin, and now we are alive to Christ and that we have been brought, as Paul says in this passage, that we have been brought from death to life. Immersion represents the resurrection. And so what about sprinkling? What about sprinkling? Well, I'm not a legalist. There have been times where uh, people that I've known of who have turned to faith in Christ later in life even in the hospital where, where they were on their deathbed, there was no way that they were getting into a baptismal tank. And so I've known of ministers who will go to the hospital and they, they've turned to Christ, they've put their faith in Christ, they've made a profession of faith in Christ, and they want to be baptized. I knew my grandpa, he, he baptized several people that way. I know that's shocking that he would do that, but he went and he went to the hospital and he sprinkled uh, some people um, because they wanted to be baptized and there was no way to get them down into the tank. I've also, I have baptized people that have had health issues that uh, they could not get into the tank, that possibly mobility issues. Uh, once baptized somebody that, that had a certain hearing issue, ear, issue with his ears where he could not go underwater. So it, it, it's not that if you're not immersed in the water that you will not be saved. That's not the issue. Remember, it's not baptism that saves you, nor the mode of baptism that saves you. Being sprinkled or dunked is not the issue. The issue is your faith in Christ. That's the issue. And so we, again, practice immersion as a general rule. That's the, what we see in the New Testament. I know that sometimes um, there, there can be a little bit of fear over that. I'm happy to report that I have a 100% success rate with baptisms, I've never lost anybody yet. Uh, it's, never, it's not a problem, it's only for a few moments and we bring you right back up and then we celebrate together. And so this is the who, the why, the where, the what, the when, and the how of baptism. And as we move forward with uh, doing this tonight, uh, let these great truths just reaffirm our love for Christ, stir our affection for Christ. As we see the, the joy and the love on the faces of those being baptized tonight, let us remind us of the joy of our salvation and the love that we have for our Savior. Amen.